To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome everyone to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. You know that song, but this voice is only vaguely familiar. This is the Two Dimension Comic Book Podcast with Don and Rook and also Dallas and also me. My name is Ryan. That's right, everybody. (laughs) Man, Ryan Clater is back and through his unbelievable summoning powers, he brought Dallas with him. (laughs) The whole trio is back. I love it. Yeah, the gang's all here. I, tell I feel you like what, Ryan, Ryan's the um, unofficial fourth member anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? Uh, man, guys, how's everybody doing, first off? I got I a like seven-year-old, man. I only directed get... it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, we love having you on, and you have graced us with talking about this new book at... It, it is a huge book for you. It's called One Bite at a Time, 20 Years of Your Work. 20 That's years. Right. Yeah, I, I know. It makes me feel old. But at the same time, I feel like it's reason to celebrate. Uh, so just to uh, describe this book real quickly for folks, this is a big, oversized, hardcover art book that really is celebrating process. So yes, there's going to be featured images of my work ranging from comics to illustration to design. And that means, you know, anything from neon design to uh, artisan pancakes and uh, custom watches and cross stitching and all sorts of different stuff that I do. Um, But it's also got a heavy emphasis on pulling back the curtain and showing these behind the scenes process images that it took to make each of these images really demystifying what it takes to be an artist uh i'm a university educator and so i sort of feel like this book is kind of an educational arm of ryan clater and it's sort of an extension of that and um I have all sorts of other exciting formatting stuff that maybe you guys will be into as well. But before I talk too long, I wanted to uh, take a quick breath and see if you had any questions about the project so far. Oh, P.S. Also, if anybody's listening, you can find this right now at onebiteatatimebook.com. That's the title of the book, One Bite at a Time. Tack the word book Mm -hmm. on the end, dot com, and you're there. Man, my biggest question looking at this is, is this procedure or more instructional? Like, because I'm I'm looking at it, I see the blue line work, I see the sketch work, I see the process. And you seem to take people through the procedure of how to create something. Do you give them the information on what goes like what the steps are following through to create the final product? Yeah, so that's a really great question. By and large, it's going to be mainly, as you put it, procedural, where I've got a little bit of contextual 
information, uh, like a paragraph or two, followed by a bunch of images. And that can range from thumbnail sketches to blue line pencils, to inks, to colors, to flats, to, you know, depending upon what the project is, neon design or watch designs, maybe there's, uh, multiple iterations of those things where the client is choosing from different types of images and then once they choose one i'll move forward with that design give them a number of different color options we'll move forward with that and then show the final fabricated design so uh it it varies a little bit with each image it's mainly procedural but i do plan on having a uh, more instructional spread in the back of the book like here is the Ryan Clater method for making comics. <laughs> so, yeah. I, does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's fascinating looking at, at the Kickstarter page, seeing all the different projects you've worked on. I mean, you're a renaissance man. Yeah. Hmm. You've done so much different work, and you've compiled all this different stuff into one book, I have to ask, is there anything that's missing from it? Is there any stuff that, you, that you've worked on that you're like, ah, that doesn't make the cut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, there was a lot of editing that went into this book. I know it probably doesn't seem like it because there's over 250 pages in this giant hardcover book, but uh, there were a lot of projects that hit the cutting room floor because I just didn't have the room in the book, and I really wanted to showcase the best of what I was capable of at that time, uh, and I say at the time because this goes back 20 years to when I first started doing Elephant Eater Comics back in 2004. So 2024 is my 20th anniversary of making comics. So um, I really wanted to show not only the best of the best, but also sort of a um, uh, a timeline, you know, uh, an evolution of an artist, so that people didn't think, oh well. He just sprang forth fully formed, and I, as a, uh, a budding create, uh, creator, could never do such a thing because I, I sort of feel like that sometimes when I see art books from my heroes, and it's like, oh, they just knew what they were doing yeah. all along, and I get a little, um, you know, it inhibited about my own artwork, but I really wanted to showcase that evolution and also sort of tell a story about the first 20 years of my career. Um, so I think individually you're seeing bits and pieces of what it takes to make an artwork, but then compiled as a whole, it really comes together to create this larger story arc of my career thus far. Right on. Uh -huh. You know, I think uh, the, the, this style of book is made for me and the boys, you know, because we eat this kind of stuff up. And I love the, the idea that you're, you're contextualizing your entire 20-year history here for, for people to be able to see. And just thumbing through some of the examples that, that we were able to see on the Kickstarter page, I love um, seeing these alternate versions, alternate takes, like you said, um, that you'd give your clients just to see how much more work is actually going into this art than what we see when we experience the finished product. And it's so neat to see just what goes on, like you said, in the creative process. And I mean, the it's sacred to artists, right? The whole process. And it's always fascinating to kind of look behind the curtain and see what's going on in the mind of some of our favorite artists. And so I think this is a, uh, this is, it's, it, I mean, maybe 
being vulnerable is not the right word, but it, it always feels like that for an artist to, to to open up and show a lot of their older stuff. That's not exactly easy to um to be found by by people. So yeah, I I'm, applaud you for that. Thank you, thank you. I I really appreciate that, Dallas. And you know, when some of these projects were originally displayed on translucent colored IMAX, <laughs> you know, that's taken it back a ways. <laughs> but I, I'm glad you bring up some of the client work too, because like those neon designs, uh, I'll propose three different um, potential signs for each client. I don't just say, here's one thing. I'll have a conversation with them, see what their interests are, and try to take it in a number of different ways. And the one that's featured on the Kickstarter page right there, that Cthulhu neon sign, which uh, which is actually animated in real life. It was really fun to work on that. But I proposed three designs all within the client's budget. And I gave him one that looks like the finished piece, but it was static, it was not animated. And then you see the smaller version down below that did not use as much glass, it was not as complicated, but I did get some animation in there. And when he saw that, he said, I love that more detailed, larger, more intricate design. Can we animate that? And I said, yeah, but I can pretty much guarantee that's gonna break your budget. And he's like, let's see what that looks like. And that's the one he ended up going with. So it was really fun to make the way, make our way through all that together. Um, he basically just did not tell us no. <laughs> we kept having additional things like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And he's like, yes, yes, yes. Let's make it the best sign possible. So uh, that was really fun. But speaking of process, I also wanted to highlight another aspect of this book that I'm over the moon about. So I'm a designer and I love creating uh, really unique products uh, and books are no exception. So I love book design and this book is the most complicated print publication I have ever been a part of, I've ever designed. Uh, so just starting from the cover, we've got dual fabric binding on the cover you've got that teal and brown and both of them are cloth it's not paper binding it's actual cloth on the cover and then that design is going to be dual foil stamp so you've got a teal and a copper foil stamp on there it's also going to have built-in ribbon bookmarks and a whole bunch of other stuff but if you make your way inside the book there's actually a number of interior specialty printing things like gatefold pages and vellum overlays and die cut reveals. And I even have an example on the Kickstarter page of that die cut reveal because, you know, I think a lot of these words, you know, we're we're designers talking here, but when you yep. say these things to a layperson, it just goes over their head like, what's, what's a die cut? What's a, uh, a gatefold? What does all that mean? And so I, I tried to create this animated GIF showing these die cut reveals within the book. So there's a big high resolution scan of a couple of my pieces of original artwork. It's sort of like, uh, uh, gosh, well, the, the artist edition, you know, those those big books they put out from the heavy hitters. Well, well, I want an artist edition. <laughs> so I scanned some of my work and I thought, well, I really want to push this theme of process and pull back the curtain so people can see what pieces looked like initially, what they looked like when they were finally printed. And I thought this would be a really interesting way to showcase that. So basically, if I can 
paint a word picture for for your listeners here. If you can imagine a very high resolution scan print of a piece of original art and then cut a few holes in that so that you can see through to the next page. Well, the next page is that artwork in its final scanned, cleaned and colored form. So these pages line up with one another so that you can see through that original artwork to the final printed piece. You can also page back and forth to see one or the other or one through the other. So it's almost like a, a before and after all at the same time. And then if you flip that page, then those holes are gonna line up with the verso page or the left-hand page. And it will do the same thing because on the back side of that die cut page is another piece of original artwork from a comic of mine and it will reveal the final colored version behind it too so that's just one of the many ways that all this specialty formatting is being used to further push this sense of uh process uh, that you'll see throughout the book that specific example you're literally making it an interactive book in that in that respect right you know now the the audience the the readers participating even more in this experience yeah, yeah that's exactly right. This had to be an incredibly difficult process in order to get things to line up, things to fold out, things to to work the way they did. How long have you been working on this? <laughs> that's that's a that's a really good question. Uh, it all started probably about five years ago when I released with my buddy Coin Op Carnival, and we did an in-person tour in 2019 throughout that year we were touring that book and at the end of the year we did that final stop and it finally dawned on me oh my gosh 2019 is the 15th anniversary of me making comics and it blew right past me i did not even think about it till it was too late and so at that point i said to myself i'm going to do something for my 20th and i started brainstorming and came up with an idea of creating an art book celebrating my 20th anniversary. And so I told my wife about it and I, you know, we were out having dinner one night and I was very, very proud and said, oh, guess what? I, I really want to do this, uh, this art book. And she's like, well, what does that mean? What's an art book? I'm like, well, you know, it's a book and you print some artwork in it I've done before. She's like, but why? Why do you want to do this? <laughs> and she's this, looking at I, you going, what's the big deal? What, what's, yeah. what's the difference? <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm actually really glad that I have a wife that can speak so frankly to me about projects because I, I need this. So she started questioning me and I at the time I did not have a great answer for her. And uh, I was just like, well, I, it's cool, right? Isn't it cool? <laughs> like, she's like, ah, I don't know. So uh, we started talking it through and started figuring out a few things. Like it's not just a bunch of pretty pictures one after the other, because I've read books like that. And I feel, I don't know, like a, a little bit empty after reading those or looking through those because I have a bunch of questions like uh, when was this produced? What was it produced for? Who was it produced for? Was this just a personal piece? Did somebody hire you? Like I, I want to know a lot about the piece and I, I'm generally left without a lot of information in typical art books. On the other end of the spectrum, there's also art books that have mountains and mountains of essays about the artwork and that yeah 
uh, is difficult for me to make my way through too. So I really wanted to strike this happy medium and ultimately uh, through a number of conversations over the next you know, days, weeks, months uh, with my wife and I, we started talking about how, uh, well, a couple things really. One, this art book is uh, the process component of this is really important. And I've been doing a lot of archival digging in my stacks to come up with uh, the pencils, the thumbnails, the various components that make up the process of coming to a piece. Um, the other part that was really important is this overarching story of, you know, an artist that is not fully formed. I wasn't fully formed when I started. I don't think I'm fully formed now. I, I, I want to have another 20 years in front of me. And I feel like, you know, this is the story of process within a bunch of process pages that really makes this art book sing, that makes it unique. So yeah. in 20 years from now, you'll have volume two. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things I would do differently in the next 20 years that would make my job so much easier <laughs> to create the next book. What would yeah. those be? What would that be? If you could yeah. talk about that a minute. Totally. So uh, for the first uh, many years of my career, you know, I'd say maybe first 15, 17, 18 years, when I did thumbnails for my pieces, I would just view them as trash. <laughs> Literally, I would grab a piece of paper and my printer next to me and jot something down and that would help get some ideas down. And then I'd move forward with the piece, but I would not keep those little pieces of work. And thankfully, I found a number of those stashed somewhere. But for the most part, I would just throw those in the trash because I thought, who's going to want to see them? They don't mean anything to me. I can't imagine them meaning anything to anyone else. And a lot of them are gone. So moving forward, I have a sketchbook that I will keep every thumbnail and sketch in. And I bought a number of these things. I finally figured out what kind of a sketchbook works for me. Because for a long time, I thought, oh, I'm going I'm to get a real nice sketchbook. It's going to have a special cover and a uh, particular type of page. And it's going to be kind of thick and hardback. And come to find out, that totally intimidated me. <laughs> it felt like that that object was too precious for me to just waste on thumbnails and little sketches. So <clears throat> after a, a long time, I finally found just a, a quick little saddle stitch uh, sketchbook that's about five by seven. I can jam it in my pocket if I'm going somewhere, put it in my backpack. It's not precious. I don't want it to be, but it's a place to compile all of that material. So now if I look back over the past two, three, five-ish years, I have sketchbooks like this and everything is in there. But before, it was all over the place on loose sheets of paper. And yeah. uh, so so that would be one of the things I'd recommend is to find a find a sketchbook that works for you. Find a method of archiving that works for you. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I actually started the process of archiving all of my game writing. Oh, cool. Uh, I you know, six years into this, uh, I've been writing, you know, at least one game a month now writing two to three. Uh, I was, I, I'm, I've lost things. I, I have no idea where things have gone. So I've started collecting everything into binders and, and, and making sure that it's all there. 
for who I have no idea. <laughs> right? yeah, that's the thing. Like w- when you're doing this stuff, you think, oh, this is so ephemeral. Nobody's ever going to it's not going to be of interest to anyone. Who am I that anybody would want to see this stuff from? But, you know, it, if somebody's listening out there who is a creative of any type, I would urge you to find some way to systematize what you do so that you can keep that and archive that because, man, you never know what's going to come of it. Maybe your kids will want to uh, play some of those games that dad made, you know, or maybe it'll it'll come into play for a a publication in the future of some sort. You just never know. So um, rather than having a bunch of loose sheets of paper or scattered computer files, I've finally found what works for me a really poopy little sketchbook. (laughs) It looks like this. And, uh, you know, that's not the answer for everybody, but I would urge uh, all the creative folks listening to, to figure out some sort of archival system that works for you. Yeah. Um, Going back to your book, when you were talking about the die cut, how was cost involved in that? Did you have to calculate this and figure it out? Because that's, um, it's it's a different world now because a lot of times when if you get stickers or something in the past that was a massive expense a die cut in the 70s i used to have to go pick these up and there was a piece of wood and it looked like a giant cookie cutter it had metal curved around it now a lot of times if you order vinyl stickers online they they use a plotter and there's no charge on it how are they doing this but in the book i don't imagine they do the plotter Right. Yeah. Agreed. When you're doing 500 to a thousand or maybe more, we'll see how this Kickstarter goes. Fingers crossed. Uh, You know, that's a lot of pages to plot. So yeah, they're making uh, die cuts for the book. uh, Just like you described. Uh, I love talking with designers so that you can explain this sort of stuff and and make it make sense to to the listeners. Um, But yeah, uh, the die cuts an extra charge. The gatefold pages are extra charges. The vellum's an extra charge. I could go on and on and on. But yes, this is a very production heavy book. And to make a long story short, uh, I basically quoted this job out to over two dozen printers before I made my decision. And even when I did, I had it narrowed down to about two or three and I had samples, uh, I had them send me, send me samples uh, from those top two or three folks. And uh, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, when I got the samples that I wanted from the printer that I'm using, and when I got the customer service that they were giving me, you know, this is, this is a wacky project that I'm putting together because every couple of weeks I was emailing them again and saying, well, hey, uh, what would it take to to do a, a horizontal gatefold? Okay, great. Let's add that. Oh, what would it take to add some die cut pages? Okay, let's do that. What would it take to, oh, can we add a vellum page? And uh, I mentioned this vellum page over and over. Basically, uh, there was a particular illustration of mine that, uh, well, it was a pinball machine. And you know that pinball machines in real life are very layered. There's, you know, the play field and then there's ramps and then there's plastic stacked on top and there's all sorts of different stuff in there. Very complex. And as an artist, I personally have a difficult time wrapping my head around like 
interlocking objects and mechanical things like that and all those stacked layers just sort of blew my brain up so the only way i could illustrate this is to illustrate the majority of it on bristol you know thick paper and then on top of that when i was drawing all the ramps everything was drawn on a piece of vellum like a piece of see-through paper so sense. when i'm printing this in the book i wanted the reader to have this very authentic experience of well here's a high resolution scan of that original artwork but then printed on a sheet of vellum overlaid on top of that page that's included in the book there's going to be an actual vellum page in the book are those ramps printed and they're going to line up with that original artwork on the other side so you can sort of page back and forth just like dallas was talking about having a more interactive experience just like you were holding that piece of original artwork with that vellum overlay so um, that's another piece of specialty printing formatting that is going a little further to emphasize that right. theme of process in the book it makes the book more special. I guess another question, and I'm not trying to dig up bad feelings, but when you call <laughs> the, well, I've got experience in this kind of stuff is what I'm saying. When you ask to add these things, did they try to talk you out of it? They try to warn you? Did they think what a what a nutcase we got here and he's going to you know, mortgage his house and lose everything, talk to his wife? I mean, no, that's the thing. So um, not only did they give me a good price it wasn't necessarily the best price but it was a good price but they also were just incredibly receptive about what i was trying to do you know that was my worry is that i was going to come off as some weirdo who had not printed with them before and is just you know shooting for pie in the sky stuff and is never going to come through but i talked to them very honestly about who i am like here Here's my name, here's my track record. Here are some Kickstarter campaigns that I've done in the past. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I think I'm gonna be able to do with a campaign for this book. And this is how I'm gonna be paying for the book. So they're familiar with crowdfunding campaigns. They've printed mm -hmm. books that have been crowdfunded before. So it wasn't like you know a total mystery to them when I said the word Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, they were very receptive the whole way through, extraordinarily helpful. And every time I came up with something new, they did not try to dissuade me. They just said whether or not they could do it. And here's the price that it will be. And okay. uh, yeah, it was really a fantastic relationship. The reason I asked that, I've seen businesses, this is when I started in the 70s, all the way up to why I got out of it, where they would, um, sometimes the client would just get so excited about something. And they just keep adding and adding. And these are clients that we've had. And next thing you know, their project was losing more money than they're ever going to make because they had to pay for all these enhancements. And uh, yeah. I remember in the 70s when I was new, my boss and the owner were trying to talk to some of these clients and says, look, this is, are you sure? Because this is adding your overhead. Well, some of them would listen, some of them didn't. And um, that's why I get excited about this kind of stuff. But talking to somebody doing it, I get concerned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm with you, but I'm on both sides of the fence, right? I'm a creative person, but I have also been uh, 
the hired hand, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you see in some of those uh, neon designs that you saw on the Kickstarter page. So here is, here's the list of proposals. Here's where we move forward. And like I said, you can see in that one uh, spread from the Cthulhu neon that not one was chosen, but two were chosen and they're sort of bracketed and then merged together to the next one. And so I'll have conversations with the client saying, yes, we can do that but here's going to be the cost. And would you like to move forward with that? Or would you like to use one of the more modestly priced versions? So then the client can make their decision about whether or not they want to do it. So thankfully, I found a printer that had a Ryan Clater mentality about <laughs> telling me about whether or not this book was possible. And if it was, what are those costs? And then let me make the decisions instead of making the decisions for me. Right. Okay. That's, that's, that's a really good one. Um, have you seen any kind of book like what you're doing? Not completely. There are, there are aspects and bits and pieces of many different books that have influenced me to create this kitchen sink book, you know, this, this book that has so many bells and whistles, both on the cover and under the hood. Um, you know, I love the work of the Canadian cartoonist, Seth. Uh, yeah. He's done Clyde Fans, It's a Good Life If You Don't Weaken, um, you know, George Sprott, a number of different things. And he's just a consummate book designer. And one of the books that he made was a book called Bannock Beans and Black Tea, which is a collection of his dad's stories growing up in very rural Prince Edward Island, you know, in very Eastern Canada. And the design for this book had this dual cloth bound cover. It was bound in cloth. There were two different colors. And I thought, my goodness, this is gorgeous. I, one day I hope I can do this. So there's the inspiration for the cover. Um, I was also teaching. I, I teach at Michigan State University. I teach comics courses there. And inevitably I'll have conversations with my students about their interests and they'll ask me about mine and just last academic year one of my students was uh saying oh you're doing this art book i i collect art books i'm like oh cool me too and so we would like bring a couple books to class and share them with each other and she brought this book in one day that had this die cut reveal thing that i described to you earlier and when i saw that i just thought oh that is brilliant. I need to do that at some point. And so I sort of put my own spin on that. So there's a lot of influences going into this book, but I, I, can't, I can't say like, here's the book that's like this, you know, there's sort of bits and pieces all making this up. You know, yeah, we, we, we've, you know, Don Rook and I have tons of art books as well, but a lot of them, none of them are quite as unique as this, you know, even some of my favorites, um, Don, long time ago, Don really got me into Love and Rockets, and I've got this really mm -hmm. cool Jaime Hernandez art book, oh, and cool. it's, it's got a lot of his old work and stuff, but no, not a huge amount of variety like you've got in here, right? But it's, it's, it's those kind of books that make us fall in love with the artist even more, even yeah. some of like um, Art Spiegelman's old stuff, even like um, he's got a Breakdowns book, which is not so much just a lot of his old art, but just collections of all his old works, which kind of doubles as as an anthology of his old stuff. But anyway, um, you know, you see a lot of this stuff, but you never see anything with with such a huge amount of um 
heart in it, I think, and so much effort in it. And this is kind of, this is really exciting. Thank you, Dallas. That means a lot. I, I really appreciate that, especially as somebody who reads and appreciates art books, you know, like we do. Uh, I really do want to make this something special, something unique. And so I, I'm glad to hear it. It sounds like maybe that's coming across even before the book is printed. I cannot wait to get these in people's hands. I, I just, oh, I have such a soft spot for book design and I want this to be my my magnum opus up until this point and then hopefully past that at some point I'll be able to you know one up this book I feel like every project I do I'm trying to to push myself in some way shape or form artistically and with this book I'm really trying to climb a few rungs of that ladder in terms of book design so um I noticed um there's quite something I really appreciate is typography um and I know the boys can uh respect yep. me for that Absolutely. and i noticed there's uh i really like a lot of um what you do as far as typography i mean i love dave sim chris ware things like that so i'm wondering looking at this it looks like it's um a big part of your art and i'm wondering how much emphasis you generally put on typography uh how much thought are you doing and is that is a lot of that um kind of wrapped up in the art projects themselves Definitely, without a doubt. I love typography. I'm a I'm a total type nerd, um, and that's another influence that came into this book. Uh, I, I have this book called In In Process or In Progress. I think it's in where In Progress. I'm looking behind me. Sorry, by Jessica Hish, and she's a lettering artist and had a lot of these really interesting sort of retro inspired interlocking word type of uh, layouts and compositions. And I just thought those were so interesting. And that was a big influence on me for designing the cover of this book. Um, so that's where you see that coming from. Uh, but yeah, in, in most of my books, like even the most recent one, Mirror Drawings, um, I was trying to conceptualize how I could make visual the um, the the content of the book, because basically it's drawings in the corner of my sketchbook that I physically mirrored around to create those larger drawings. And so you saw that reflected in the title that's got that sort of mirror jammed in the middle of the word mirror, and it's a reflecting that backwards R. Um, so, you know, if you look back through my, um, my, my work, I think you'll see an attention to typography too. Um, you know, A Hunter's Tale, I have in my sketchbook a number of different attempts at title treatments for that book. Um, and yeah, so to answer your question, yes, I love typography too. And I, I'm glad to see that came through. Thank you for mentioning that, Dallas. Now, could somebody explain to the listening audience exactly what typography is? <laughs> yeah, we might actually. No. <laughs> Well, so there are, I, there are courses and such things, but <laughs> when I, I say this, I, yeah. I'd like to clarify this because when I started working, it was it was still hot type, which was the molten lead it was being poured in. Yep. And those men, and it, it was a, a male industry. They understood topography. Well, when the, the cold press text, you know, a line of type, various type, or those machines came out, the typesetting machines, they were hiring secretaries, young ladies that could type. And these guys would spec them out. 
Well, one one old guy was telling me. I never worked in hot type. I remember it. But he was saying, well, you know, some of these girls really turn into really good typographers. But when I entered the industry, there was a big distinction between typographers and somebody who's just laying down type. And now with computers, the same things happen. And so that's the thing was, how would you describe typography to the world we're living in right now? That's a good question. Um, I I really enjoy seeing when type or text is paid attention to. Um, sometimes I'll see what I call cursor plunk titles where you can tell somebody just plunked the cursor down on whatever desktop publishing program yeah. they were working in and typed something out and called yeah. it a day. But if you're thinking about how letter forms interact with one another from left to right, how close are they? How far away are they? If you're thinking about how letter forms are interacting with each other vertically, you know, in terms of letting, or how do letter forms fit within each other, or how can they extend around one another to create additional decorative elements? Uh, that sort of stuff is typography. Uh, basically, a, a, a higher level attention to typographic detail. I don't know if that's an official definition, <laughs> but it's it's how I think, I think of typography. That's an I excellent answer. That's an excellent answer. And Dallas, I'm giving you 10 demerits because I wanted you to answer it because you brought it up. <laughs> oh, did I steal your answer? That's what you were going to say, right? <laughs> that's why I was on mute. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a really good answer. And, um, you know, but I do know Dallas understands typography and loves it, but I just want to make sure everybody listening understands typography as well. Yeah. Well, and but that can make or break a project. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. when I was teaching design, I I always told people, do not use basic fonts. You know, you must do something to don't just like you said, plunk it down and type, start typing a word and just start picking which font you want. No, you have to go beyond this. You have to you have to create something, an element to it to make it pop, make it look like it belongs there. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen the papyrus font on things. <laughs> and I just go, oh, yeah, papyrus. Yeah, you just kind of gave up, didn't you? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? That's that's classic. Uh, oh, gosh. What, what's that movie that's so famous that just came out with the second one after umpteen years? Um, it's, uh, oh, my God. My mind is mush. Uh, You'll think guys, about with something else. Blue guys that aren't Smurfs. Um, Blue guys that aren't Smurfs. Avatar. <laughs> Avatar, oh, thank yeah. you. Papyrus. My gosh, yes. Papyrus. It's all it's all over Avatar. So you know, good enough for Avatar, it's good enough for me, right, Rook? Like, we have multi-million dollar budget, except for our logo. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Words for that logo. I mean the problem the is pick this font. Yeah, sometimes when you first start, you get so excited about, and that's anything, sculpture. Uh, when I took sculpture in college, he wouldn't let you work on anything but limestone. You know, there were, there were all these stones, they were beautiful, but he said, if I let you work on one of these, all you're going to do is get so excited about the beautiful grain in the stone. Limestone's ugly. You're going to have to come up with a really strong composition. Yeah. Musicians. When synthesizers first came out, how many albums were you getting with a lot of beeps and boops that weren't even attuned just because they were excited showing them off? And it's uh, the we same thing. Noise projects. Huh? 
We call that noise project. Well, it's but you know when you when it's new, same thing. Um, I remember when I first took commercial art in high school, they had us get press type, you know, the rub down text, and everybody's getting stuff like smoke, hobo, Alpharita, all these Arnold Bachlan, <laughs> all these really decorative fonts that you know. I mean, in some contexts they'll work, but not in the projects that these people were buying them for. And um, so that's, again, that's the thing. It, I, we always had a term for it, clown vomit. It's like you just throw everything in the planet and it doesn't work, but yeah, nevertheless. Yeah, totally. And and you can tell when somebody has cursor plunked something or whether it's really been worked. You know, like for the cover of my book, I, I'm pretty proud of this. It's a lot of type, but it it fits. There's also decorative elements. There's also uh, figurative elements in there. But I, I think that it all sort of puzzle pieces well together. I'm, of course, biased. I'll let you be the final judge. But I iterated and iterated and iterated on that title treatment. Uh, I cannot tell you the number of times I hand illustrated those letters, how many times I digitally pulled it apart and altered it and put it back together and sketched by hand again and pulled it apart digitally again in order to get the final composition that you see there. So, um, yeah, yeah I, and just I, the way I, you I, added the flourishes around everything and added artwork inside of the font. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you. Kind of Thank you. Painting. What was that, Don? I'm it's sorry. Kind of like, it's kind of like sign painting, old sign painting. That's yeah, what definitely. Definitely. It, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I actually took a sign painting workshop not too long ago. It was uh, right before the pandemic hit. And, you know, like I said, I'm very interested in lettering design and sign painters are folks who do it really well. And so I, I took a class from this well-known sign painter. And yeah, I'm sure there's some influence from that in there, too. I happen to be related to one of the last hand-carved sign makers in North America. Wow. Who's that? He, uh, Reed Hayden. Huh. He's oh, in... He's out of uh, Maine. He does hand, it, and I'm talking about chisel and hammer. And he's putting the names of boats right on the boats. He's making the signs. I mean, he is, he got all the woodworking genes, and I got all the, okay, I think this will hold together. Just don't put any weight on it. <laughs> Gene. Nice. <Nailed> nice. It. <laughs> yeah, That's it's, great. It, it's, it's incredibly good detailed work to work with font and lettering and 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 get it right typography is an incredibly difficult art to understand and it's a very easy art to make to do wrong <laughs> I, would, yeah. I, would, I would say to 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 make it look organic and not so mechanical is probably the most difficult part because so much of it is i mean i could just i'd be sitting there with a ruler the whole time trying to figure things out right like it's it's a very difficult art, and I know nothing about how to really do it. You know, I appreciate it. I know what I like, but uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, Ryan, I got to ask you. We've talked a lot about the actual printed book itself. Um, on the Kickstarter, you do have a tier for the digital version. How do you address some of these treatments in the digital version so that you get these reveals? That's a great question. Uh, I will show everything that's in the physical book in the digital form but i'm not gonna lie 
it's not going to be as cool. <laughs> you cannot, you mean, cannot have, you cannot have the uh, fabric cover. You cannot have the look of foil stamping. You cannot have a textured title page like I'm going to have. You cannot have embossed title pages like I'm going to have. You know, I can list all this out. You'll see everything, but it's just not going to be that physical object that it was designed to be. Uh, but I have it there because there are folks overseas for whom shipping is cost prohibitive. And if they want that content, if they want to see, well, how did a piece come to be? What is the trajectory of Ryan's um, uh, uh, career? Well, all that's still gonna be in there. It's not gonna be that physical tactile object that you know is, is very exciting to me personally, but all the content's gonna be there. So um, if you're overseas or if cost is an issue, because this this is a book that uh, you know is gonna have a, a reasonably hefty price tag on it. Um, the uh, the price tag for the book is $59.95, but if you get it on the Kickstarter right now, you can actually save 17% off cover price and get it shipped to you directly uh, for free anywhere in the United States. So that brings it down to 50 bucks even. That's for the book and shipping. So not only are you getting a discount on the book, you're also getting free shipping. Um, I, I really just want this book in people's hands and uh, to be able to print this book. So uh, yeah, I, I hope that is enticement enough to come over to the Kickstarter campaign at onebiteatatimebook.com. That's one bite at a time book.com. But for those who might have uh, a little more interest in the project, I'm really excited about some of these higher tiers too. Uh, this is the first time that I've produced a patch in my entire career. I've always enjoyed patches. And I thought, man, I'd, I'd really like to do something for this project. And I have the patches in my hand right now. I, they're, they're physically here and oh, they really? look gorgeous. Yes, I, I've already affixed it to my backpack. <laughs> I oh. was so excited about it. And uh, I don't know if you remember back on the mirror drawings campaign, but I did this specialty print that was a raised gold foil print. Well, for these, I'm doing a raised copper foil print that's even bigger and including that along with the patch and signing the book uh, for only another 25 bucks, you get all of that. Um, but we've even got a book club tier where it's an invitation only book discussion that I'm going to host via Zoom and talk about the making of one bite at a time and share behind the scenes experiences and provide insight and commentary to the work and field some questions from the audience who uh, take part in that that tier. And uh, the last one that I, I should probably mention, I don't wanna leave out the retailers. Uh, there is a retailer tier that gives you 550% off cover price and the books come signed and there's free shipping. So um, if you're a retailer interested in carrying these books, I've got a slot for you too. Yeah, I, it, dude, the patch looks beautiful. Uh, the the various tiers that you have open, you know, we're not talking about that much more to support a higher tier either. It's not like you go from like 50 bucks to 300. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, your prices are great on as far as the the availability to back the project. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. I, I really wanted this to be accessible 
in in the best way I could make it. You know, I, I want to make this higher production product in the book, but then as you step up in those levels, I also wanted to make the next level look, as you said, not so far away. And look at all this cool stuff you get. So yeah. I, I really tried to slowly increment it up in hopes of you know bringing folks up to another level or two. Yeah, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Looking looking at this. Uh, you know the patch, uh, the patch and everything. You might be the second or third one to make me break my fifty dollar limit on Kickstarter. <laughs> but, uh, I heard you and Don talking about your your Kickstarter <laughs> limit on uh, an episode or few ago, and I was wondering to myself, what what is that limit? I hope I haven't broken it. <laughs> I don't think you mentioned the dollar amount. <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually have a limit uh, on things. Um, I've broken it a couple times. Uh, the the biggest break in my limit was crit actually uh I, I love the guys over at crit they do some great stuff and you know talking back and forth he uh he did a sugar-free energy drink which is extremely important to somebody like me uh so when i heard that i was like man i love energy drinks but they got so much sugar and he, when he said it was sugar-free i was like okay nope i'm done grab my phone back it <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like there, there there are things that will make me break my limits, people. <laughs> I think we found another one. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, well, I appreciate your vote of confidence for this project. It really does mean a lot to me because I, I, I really respect you guys and what you do here on the show. I'm a frequent listener. I've got the T-shirt for goodness sakes. And well, thank you, you for know, that, by the way. Thank you. I, it's it's true. It's true because, you know, there's not a ton of podcasts out there that are highlighting indie folks and having, you know, uh, frank conversations about this stuff. You know, the the podcast episode I was referring to, Don was talking about, you know, hey, uh, I'm kind of new to this crowdfunding thing and I, I backed one and it's not here yet. And that's got me feeling some feelings. And Rook started talking to Don about like the whole crowdfunding model and what that's like and uh, that was a really cool episode to listen to, not to mention all the different folks you have on here. And uh, Don, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you're doing a lot of the behind the scenes work to make this podcast happen, which is incredible. You've got to have that glue. But Rook, I also wanted to talk to you about just being so incredibly supportive of so many people, just such a positive attitude that whoever is on your show, you make them feel like a million bucks. They're not just another person who comes on, you know, you know about them, you know about their project, you're sincerely interested in what they do. And uh, I just have a lot of good feelings for all of you on this podcast. So thank you for keeping this up for who knows how many episodes how many episodes are you up to now don you you count them 300 something this is gonna be 377 good mercy yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's know, amazing you know but we do this and and we don has said it before he says it every every time at the end of the show none of us make any money off of this we do this because we love it we love comic books we love the community and, you know, we don't, you know, could we monetize? Yeah, probably. Uh, why? You know, we've all got great, great careers. Uh, we're doing well. And, you know, 
this gives us a chance to sit and talk with friends, really, you know, and that's what we want. We want you to we want everybody to feel like this is a conversation amongst friends and we're talking about this amazing projects that people are working on. And Don has said it before. No matter who you are, no matter how big or how small your project is, you got the work done. Yeah, that should be celebrated. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Also, this is the only reason Dallas is our friend is because we do the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I didn't I didn't mean to leave Dallas out because I know (laughs) Dallas is a a doting father and I can relate. I am the father of a young person, too, and it just makes it uh, a lot more challenging to do all the many things that you want to do. So Dallas, I so appreciate you coming on the show today because uh, I, I know that you've got a lot of things going on in your life from, you know, being a rock star to being a rock star daddy to, you know, all the different things. So thank you for coming back on uh, oh, for little old me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Dallas yeah. also does all the sound on the show, created the show and produces the show every week. So even if he's not here, you hear him. Yeah, nice. Dallas's fingerprints are all over this show. You guys might not hear him, but let me tell you, you do actually hear him. <laughs> trust me, trust me. The, this show would not sound anything like it does without the efforts of that man. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he gives Rook and myself a bunch of index cards, and everything we say is from these <laughs> index cards. <laughs> I read, I read <laughs> off, and Rook gets really scared. Don, he's going to kill us. you got to stay back on the cards. <laughs> those those <laughs> off-the-cuff jokes, those are all me. I wrote them. <laughs> and, and all the uh the hearkening back to his childhood that don does on those cards it's amazing how many details dallas has about being in the navy that's <laughs> <laughs> my years on the kitty hawk you had to do a lot of research on those letterpress printing machines for Don to pull all that out. Yeah. Good work, Dallas. Good researching. Very nice. Is there else you'd like to finish with? You know, let everybody know. Oh, I, I, at this point, I'm laser focused on this project. I just really want to put this in front of people's eyes. Um, if you want to find out more about me, my self-publishing company is called Elephant Eater Comics. You can find it at elephanteater.com. But really the place I'd like everyone to go to right now is one bite at a time That's one bite at a time That'll take you straight to the campaign for this big oversized production heavy art book with lots and lots of extras in it um that's running right now for the month of november fantastic man i will say i was surprised when you said a 50 dollar because i was imagining i had 600 dollars so basically it's like you're just giving the books away so everybody check them out uh, get a book it's a lot better than the price i had Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. And I appreciate all you for having me on the show for uh, time number three. I look forward to number four. I think the first number three person we've had so far. Hey, excellent. We'll send you a crown. Once you get to number four, you're a regular on the show. (laughs) Yeah, be careful with that one. I'll make sure it's a good project then. All right. Hey, everybody, if you like to draw, we're always needing fake comic book covers for the Facebook page and the Facebook group. I can never say this right. It's the next new episode. Um, 
We can't pay for it, as Rook has stated. We have no money. But uh, you'll live on an infamy if you'll allow us, and we'll also put it on the um, cover gallery of the blog. A lot of people enjoy these. Uh, send me something. I can format it any way to fit the cover. If you're any kind of musician, singer, performance artist, I've said mimes, and I do believe it. If you can put on MP3, we have a music break. We don't have a guest. And Rook is really tired of me playing the same artists over and over and over again. Uh, help a brother out. You can send all this information to the con contact page on the blog. We also, as Ryan mentioned, we have a t-shirt. Uh, we've sold nine of them so far. It's not to make us rich. It's just to help us with the hosting fees that come up every year. There's three different designs. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Check out bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. You'll find everything we talked about in this episode and so much more. But until next time, everybody. Read. More. Comics! You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. The Your dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.